Well, students, this is my good friend, uh, Chad Kinser, and I have the pleasure of introducing him as I stand directly behind him tonight. Uh, he is the downtown PM campus pastor at our church. What that means is our campus that is downtown, the services that meet in the evening, he is the pastor over uh, those services, and that is largely college students, and uh, he's just one of my favorite people in the world. We're in a community group together. Uh, we're so grateful to have him here tonight, so please help me welcome Chad Kinzer tonight. Man, it is uh, it's really good to be here, and I'm really grateful for your hospitality collectively. Uh, I know that uh, it was Dale that kind of gave me the invite, but I know that uh, you guys sort of, don't, uh, Dale doesn't have a job without you, right? So you guys sort of uh, have given me hospitality to be here tonight, and I have, um, I have heard about this ministry for a long time. And I told this to the leaders just a little bit ago uh, in, in the room we were in, that I'm, I'm standing here before you tonight trembling a little bit because uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, and I moved to Austin, Texas about three and a half years ago from Louisville, Kentucky. So I've been around a little bit, uh, and over the years, I've heard about Vertical in all kinds of different places in the United States. I just want you to know that your faith and what God is doing here at Baylor is being heard around the country. And so to stand here tonight and to kind of get an invite to do this, I'm kind of trembling going, I don't know that I deserve an opportunity like this. And so I'm just so thrilled to be here. I want you to know that I live among the Longhorns, but don't judge me for that. Uh, I'm for you. I just came to a Baylor game a few weeks ago when you played uh, the team I root for. Don't judge me again, Oklahoma State. Uh, and you beat us, so you have that on me, right? Uh, and so that's, uh, that's kind of what's bringing me here tonight in solidarity with you. You've beaten me. You've proven you're better. I'm just kind of submitting underneath that and trying to help you somehow in, in Jesus tonight, right? Um, but uh, I have heard you're in this series this semester uh, of transition and miss all different speakers coming in. You're in this series called Stay Salty, right? Uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're just jumping in tonight, that's okay. I am too. But I'm jumping in this series that we're doing through uh, Matthew 5 and 6 uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has a teaching there where he says to those who are following him, you're the salt of the earth which means you're, you're kind of the flavor of the earth, right? You're kind of bringing a sense of God to the people around us. You're different. You're bringing a spice of God's kingdom to the earth. You're the salt of the earth. So the series, Stay Salty, uh, it's really creative, Dale, is on you. Uh, hashtag say, Stay Salty. Get on social media, by the way. He said to do that. Um, so that's where you do the hashtags. Uh, anyway, um, that's the series you're in, and I'm jumping into that tonight. And I want to talk about a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 5. So you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, starting in verse 43 on down through 48. And we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture tonight in this famous, famous sermon that Jesus preaches uh, where he talks to us about how to deal with those who are opposed to us, how to deal with those who hate us, how to deal with those who maybe even have hurt us that we would say maybe we hate them, people who would be described as our enemies. Jesus is going to speak into a passage of Scripture tonight, and I'm just going to warn you, it's going to sting but I think by the time we're done tonight, I think it's going to sting in all the right ways as we seek to follow Jesus, right? So I want to begin our time together. Just read the passage, uh, and then we'll jump in from there. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, the word of Jesus speaks to us like this. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, the famous theologian and philosopher of our day, Taylor Swift, has once said, Haters gonna hate, 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 but I'm just gonna shake, shake them off, right? This is the great theologian and philosopher of our day, and she's saying this, and she's speaking into, right, what you know to be the, the common cultural ethic of our day, right? She's saying nothing new, she's adding nothing new, she's just saying what all of us instinctively feel to those who oppose us, to those who stand against us. Hate is gonna hate. But listen, I'm just going to shake them off. And I, I, have, I don't know why I said it that way. I think I'm trying to be cool when I say it that way. But I really, haters going to hate, you know? Drinking some haterade around here, but I'm just going to shake them off. And, and that's how it's going to go down. She's saying what all of us instinctively feel for those who stand against us, for those who oppose us, for those who push against us, who hurt us deeply. This is what she's saying. And, and all of us feel this. All of us know this. We have felt these instincts inside of us, whether you're Christian or not. You felt these instincts when it comes to your own relationships, when it comes to your own social circles, when it comes to your own moments of trying to have advancement in different organizations, where there's someone who uh, uh, tramples you or gossips against you or slanders you in order to get a position that you wanted or somehow backdoors you and betrays you, right? You've had these moments where you're like, I'm trying to get a date for a date party, but that jerk took my girl, and now you hate him, and you're like, okay, I'm going online to play Halo against him, and I'm killing him, Right? Uh, These are the kinds of ways we instinctively go, I want to get back at people who have gotten at me. This is is the culture we live in. This is the air we breathe. We we live in a culture of survival of the fittest. And it's not just something that creeps on us uh, when we come of age. This is something that happens sort of, it's hardwired into us from the very beginning. So I'm a dad of three kids. I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and my wife is carrying one in the womb now. So it's quite crazy at my place, and yeah, yeah, there you go, I got swimmers, and so uh, that was weird. So um, so here's how, here's the thing I've noticed, with kids that are young, and they're still being trained, they're still gathering their instincts, listen, it's normal people, right? Uh, They're still gathering their instincts, but listen, no one had to teach my three-year-old to hit when something was taken from her. No one had to teach my three-year-old that when she's playing with a toy that my five-year-old comes and gets, she's either going to hit and lash out or she's going to distance herself altogether and just ignore and move away, right? Haters are going to hate, but I'm just going to shake them off. That's even happening at three. That's even happening at one with my son. The, my, my son tries to always chase around my three-year-old around the house and she wants nothing to do with him. She always runs to the opposite corner just to get away from him. And so at best, our instincts tell us, when someone gets at us, at best, our instincts tell us, just ignore them altogether. At worst, our instincts tell us, get revenge. Get revenge, right? And yet, here's what's happening tonight. We're coming into a passage of Scripture where Jesus is going to take this common M.O. that's sort of hardwired into us from the very beginning and that only grows over time when the, when the wounds increase, when the hurts increase, when the pain deepens. These instincts that are normal to us from the very beginning, they only increase, and Jesus is going to come in and speak directly to those. 
and he's going to blow up our common instincts tonight. He's going to completely blow them up, and he's going to talk to us about how we think about those who are our enemies. And, and I just want to say this before we get to the words of Jesus tonight, that what he's saying is not a suggestion for those who follow him. That this is not like some sort of optional teaching along the buffet line of following Jesus where you go, I like a lot of forgiveness, so give me that. I like a lot of grace and future kingdom and resurrection from the dead and heaven. Give me all of that. I like God's always with me, but love my enemies. I'll leave, I'll leave that one off. So this is not a suggestion Jesus is saying tonight. This is not an option along the buffet line of discipleship. This is something that hits right to the very core of Christianity itself. This teaching has everything to do with what it means to be a Christian. This is hitting at the core of the gospel of Jesus itself. And so let's pick it up again, beginning uh, in verse 43. Notice just the first part of the verse. He says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So when Jesus speaks this way, he's addressing the common teaching of the day, the common religious teaching of the day. This is why he says, you've heard it said. You've been hearing this from your religious teachers. You've been hearing this on the streets. You've heard this said, right? So this currently is not, this apparently rather, is not a 2016 problem. This has been an always problem. This has kind of been an always MO for people everywhere in all places. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I'm now saying to you. And so he's addressing the common religious teaching of the day, what the religious leaders, the Pharisees, if you know the Bible, what they had been teaching. And he's speaking this way as if to say, you've heard some things being said, but now I'm going to bring you to the heart of God. You've heard religious leaders saying some stuff, but now I'm taking you back to the roots. I'm taking you back to the heart of God here. And so he's, he's juxtaposing, he's separating altogether the the fake, puffed-up, man-made religion from the very heart of God and the way he's wired things to work. And so he's saying, I'm talking to you. You've heard it said, but I'm now saying to you. This is something Jesus says over and over again through the Sermon on the Mount. He's addressing several different things. He just happens to be addressing enemies here. He just happens to be addressing enemies here. And of all the teachings, of all the teachings the religious leaders in that day were getting wrong, this one may have been the worst. This one may have been off the most. There were two major ways the religious leaders were missing this teaching altogether. And Jesus addresses them both in this passage. So the first was this. They were leaving off part of the original teaching altogether. They were butchering this teaching by leaving off part of the original teaching altogether. So if you've got a Bible and you know it really well, go back to Leviticus. And you're like, oh my gosh, I love Leviticus. My favorite book of the Bible. I know. So go there, right? So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, in case you're new, it's the third book of the Bible. And so in Leviticus, this is where we find the roots of this teaching. It says this in verse 17, Leviticus 19, verse 17. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your brother, lest lest you incur sin because of him. Verse 18, here's where it gets down to it. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. And so what's going on here is Jesus is saying, uh, listen, when it comes to the way people oppose you and stand against you, 
From the very beginning, over and over in the Old Testament, this is just the beginning of it, but over and over again, God says, when it comes to people like this, you don't take vengeance. You don't exact your own uh, revenge against them. You love your neighbor as yourself. You don't hate your brother in your heart. You reason with your brother so that you don't sin because of them, because of their sin against you. But what was happening with the religious leaders, remember back in the teaching, it says, you've heard it said, love your enemies, or love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. They left off the first part of this teaching altogether. The first part of the teaching that says, don't take vengeance, don't, don't, don't take revenge, but you love your neighbor. They were leaving that off altogether. And by leaving that off, they were making the Bible to say what they wanted it to say. And they were making room for their own preferences, for their own instincts to be justified and leaving off the harder part. So the first way they were butchering this teaching is by leaving the first part off altogether. The second way they were butchering this teaching is by adding to it completely to the contrary, right? We just read Leviticus where the roots of this teaching come from. He says, don't take revenge, but you love your neighbor as yourself. It says nothing about hating your enemy. It says nothing about that. But this is something they were adding all together to justify the hate they had in their own hearts. You see, when Jesus gave this teaching, he was speaking into the first century Roman culture, right? Where the Jews were living under the oppression of the Romans. And so anyone who wasn't a Jew, the Jews hated them. And anyone who was a Jew that was friendly with the Romans or the Gentiles, they hated that own person. And so they were making room for their own instincts, to their own self-protection, for their own preservation. They were saying, no, 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 yes, let's take off the parts we like about God's word, love your neighbor, but let's leave room then for the parts that, that make us feel better about ourselves, and let's hate our enemies. So love your neighbor, you've heard it said, but hate your enemies. So this was the context Jesus was speaking into. Now here's, here's why this matters for you and me. You and I can hear the brief history lesson behind where this text is coming in, and it would be easy for us to go, I mean, that's crazy. You can't just take the Bible to say what you want it to say. It has to say what it actually says. And so it's easy for you and me on a, on a night here in Waco, Texas, at a track stadium to be studying our Bibles and go, we're certainly better than that. We would never do that to the Bible. How dare those Pharisees? We've certainly, in our own Christianity, evolved past that. But listen. That's a common temptation for us, but it's not true. It's not true. Every one of us in the, in the stadium tonight are guilty of negotiating God's word. Every one of us tonight are guilty of, of negotiating God's word, of maneuvering God's word, of massaging God's word to fit what we want. So maybe it's not an issue that you have with love your enemies. Maybe that one's a really easy one for you, but maybe when it comes on to a teaching about sexuality, or maybe when it comes on to a teaching about uh, your own Christian liberties. Or maybe when it comes on to a teaching, uh, you name the teaching, about money, about marriage, about whatever. Are you massaging the word of God to say what you want it to say to justify your own disobedience or your own manner of life? So, so here's a real good test. Here's just a real good litmus test, if you're taking notes, on how you can know what authority God has in your life. And here it is. When the word of God comes in conflict to what you want, who wins? When the word of God comes into conflict with what you want, who wins? Is the word of God negotiable for you? Is the word of God something you can slide out from underneath? 
Is the word of God something you can just turn off and turn on when it says something that really helps you and then turn off when it says something that really opposes you? When the word of God comes into conflict with what you want, who wins? That's a critical question that all of us have to answer and all of us have stood guilty of this. So so you see it already like this was really easy to point out how false the religious leaders of Jesus' day were. But we stand in the same place as them. And so all the more tonight need to hear the word of the Lord and so be changed. And so Jesus again says, Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it said, but now I say to you, love your neighbor. It says, you've heard it said, love your enemy, but hate your neighbor. And look at what he goes on to say, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is saying, so what do I do, right? So, so here's what happens whenever, you know, I hear a teaching like this. The first thing we want to do is we want to step back and we want to go, oh, okay, our enemies. Yeah, our enemies. Okay, now I know what you're talking about, Jesus. So we're talking about terrorists. We're talking about ISIS. We're talking about that person who cut me off on the highway. We're talking about that person who, who stole my parking spot. We're talking about the person who stole my stuff, Right? Okay, love them. And somehow you go, oh, yeah, I love them. I mean, we all make mistakes. And what we want to do when it comes to a teaching like this is we want to go, oh, that, that stung a little bit, but let's back up. Maybe he's not saying everything I think he's saying. Maybe he's saying something bigger than that that's more negotiable. You see, it's always easy to do this. It's always easy to take God's word and back up and make it broad and general. Because when you back up and make it broad and general, you don't have facts to deal with it. So you say, love my enemies, ISIS. Well, I kind of hate them, but they do some bad stuff, but I guess I could pray for their goodwill. I guess I could pray for their conversion. I guess I could do that. But Jesus is actually addressing something much more close to home. You see, we could talk about enemies in that sense, and we should, and there's a place for that. But what I want to talk about tonight are people in your very own life who have a face. People in your very own life that you have to look at. People in your very own life that when they walk in the room, you feel your skin begin to crawl. People who, when they walk in the room, you begin to have already have bitterness or jealousy or rage pop up, and you want to say something sarcastic, or you're ready for the person who can squash them in the room, and even though you didn't do it, you'll feel a little bit of happiness on the inside because they were squashed. So we're talking about maybe the roommate right now that you have, that you hate in your heart. Why don't you wash your dishes, right? We're talking about the boyfriend or girlfriend that just bailed on you and you want ill will toward. We're talking about maybe the parent who has sent you to college and is paying for your education, but you always feel like it's never enough, and though they're paying for it, they just lord that over your head so that you feel like you have to perform and you have to become something, and you're just trying to tell mom, you're just trying to tell dad, I did it, and yet it still never feels enough. And so you have, maybe it's a parent that we're talking about. We're talking about that rival fraternity, that rival sorority, right? That you're like, I hate that week of intramurals when we play them. We're talking about them. We're talking about people who bear the dignity of God, being made in his image, you look at and the people that you rage against when you see them. Maybe for some, maybe we're talking tonight about those of other colors and races. You see, none of us are exempt from this teaching of Jesus. None of us are exempt from this teaching from Jesus. And so I want just, as we, before we move forward, like who are those people? 
Who are the people right now, as I'm saying all of that, who do you feel at odds with? And who do you feel is at odds with you? Who would you say right now? Maybe hate's a strong word. You don't want to use it. So who would you say that has hurt you deeply or that somehow, if you were to be honest, that you would want to hurt them? Who is it? What we read next, Jesus is going to say exactly how he intends for us to deal with them. Look again what he says in 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The first call to action, he says, and really the only call to action in this entire passage is prayer. And here's why. Because Jesus knows you and me, and he knows we're busted. Jesus knows you and me. And some of you in the room have been hurt really bad. Some of you have been offended and betrayed really bad. And so he knows that if you're going to obey this teaching, he's not removing this from any of us, regardless of the hurt we've endured. But he's saying, listen, I want, I want to set you free here. I want you to follow me. But in order for you to do this, you're going to need some power. You're going to need some life. You're going to need some vitality. You're going to need some affection for people that's not your own. You're going to need to come from somewhere else. So you've heard it said, hate your enemies. But I'm saying, love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for them. So maybe the first prayer for you looks like, as you have that person in your head right now, is, God, help me to want to pray for them. (laughs) Maybe that's the first place to begin, is, God, I don't want to pray for them, so I just want to at least say that out loud. I don't want to pray for them. But you see what you just said? You just now started to pray for them. Because you confess, I don't want to pray for them. And you're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And so just to tell you in my own life, this, is, this, this isn't easy. I come from a home that's busted in a thousand directions. Maybe like some of you, my mom's on her fifth marriage now. My real dad walked out when she was nine months pregnant with me. And my mom remarried three more times before I was 16. And we were left three more times by all those men. And so I can tell you, I grew up with a lot of bitterness, with a lot of rage for the way that those men left my mom and I, giving me a poor example of what it means to be a man and wounding me deeply for feeling like I'm not wanted or worthy. So I know what bitterness and rage and hating enemies feels like. And so I can tell you, just as I'm, as I'm speaking this to you, the place where God began to work on me a few years ago was... Because Father's Day is a painful day for me. So just, just pray for these men. Just pray for them. And I can tell you, I mean, it's, it's not been a quick one, but over the years, God has given me freedom. God has given me boldness. God has given me grace to see God give them the same grace that you've given me. I would be no different if it weren't for Jesus Christ. I would be the same kind of man if it weren't for Jesus Christ. So the first thing God says to those who have hurt you, who have wounded you, he says, just begin to pray for them. Just begin to pray for them. And look at what he says next. He tells us why. Look at verse 45. He says, so that, so that, why pray for them? Why do, why obey this? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Now pause with me. 
Jesus says obedience to this command has everything to do with your own salvation. It's everything to do with it. Now, now listen, it's not that you better get started loving your enemies. You better get started to figure this out and love those who've wounded you if you ever want God to save you and give you favor. That's not what he's saying. You are saved by grace alone and faith alone, not by works, not by works. But what he is saying is the evidence in your life of beginning to pray for those and love those who would be your enemies is evidence that God is now working and saving you actively. It's not love them in order to be saved. It's I'm saved, and now the evidence of my salvation works itself out in me loving those who've wounded me. So you can't separate my salvation with Jesus from me going on to continue to have bitterness in my heart for people. You can't separate the two. Jesus is saying they are connected. My saving work is going to release you to release people. My saving work will release you to release people. And if it's not doing that, then you might have to question just what it is you believe about Jesus. Right? So this is critical. He's saying this hits at the core of salvation itself. And why? Why is that the case? Continue reading with me. Look at what he says at the end of 45 and on down through. He says, So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? So the reason Jesus says this is so significant and it shows your salvation is this, that if you don't roll this way, if you don't follow him here, then what separates you from those who don't know Christ? If you just live your life loving people who love you back, cheering on people who cheer you on back, you don't need God for that. If God doesn't make a difference in the deepest places of brokenness in us, then what good is he? Right? If God doesn't make a difference to change us and to pull things out of us and to release us in the deepest places of brokenness in us, then what good is he? Because if he can't pull us to do something other than what all of culture does, then is he that great? Then is he that good? If we just love like the rest of the world loves, then who needs God? You can do that on your own. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 listen. My kingdom is coming. My kingdom has come. My kingdom is building itself into you by the power of the Holy Spirit that I've poured out on you through my resurrection from the dead. And my kingdom is bringing life. My kingdom is bringing freedom. Uh, It is not bringing bitterness. It is not bringing hate. My kingdom reconciles. My kingdom unifies. My kingdom releases. My kingdom frees. My my kingdom sets the captive free. Not the opposite. Not the opposite. And so Jesus is saying, listen, an evidence of this is evidence of my work in you. And now this, this is huge for where the passage ends tonight. Look at verse 48. Look at verse 48. He says, You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven, as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. Now, anybody else in the stadium tonight ever read this verse and been hung up and massively confused? Okay, like 20 people, great. So uh, I, I, think, I think there's more of us. Even if you just read it for the first time tonight. It says, you must be perfect, just like your Father in heaven is perfect. Who can stand up to that? You read this verse, you're like, I, I have no idea what this means. You may have the entire, maybe in your Bible you're an underliner. You have everything else underlined but that verse, because you're like, I don't know what that means. On to the next verse, underline, underline. And someone reads your Bible, and you're like, oh, why not that one? Because I don't know what it means, man, you know? And you're just so massively confused. L- let me help you here. When Jesus says, you must be perfect, because your Father in heaven is perfect, he's not talking about moral perfection. He's not. Remember what he's talking about in this passage, right? He's talking about loving your enemies. He's talking about loving your enemies. And he's saying, this is a perfect kind of love. Remember, it doesn't look like the Gentiles. It doesn't look like those who are apart from God. They have a broken, busted kind of love. I'm calling you to a more perfect kind of love. And you must be perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect, who has a perfect kind of love. And that matters for you and me. Why? Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, beginning in verse 8. It says this. Remember, we're talking about a perfect kind of love here that has to do with us. Verse 8 says this, But God shows his love for you and me, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, you hear the word? For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so God is saying, listen, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you should know what this looks like because that's exactly when I loved you. That's exactly when I loved you. I loved you while you were yet still a sinner. Listen, believer, Christ died for the worst version of you. Jesus died for the worst version of you. Some of you are going, I'm not sure I can live up to the love of God again. I'm not sure I can do it right enough to get the love of God again. I'm going to say right now, by the authority of this passage, while you are yet still a sinner, Christ died for you. This is how God showed his love. He died for the worst version of you. If you were reconciled to God while you were an enemy of his, an enemy because of your sin, an enemy because of your rebellion against him, an enemy because of your rejection of his word over your life and your decision to do what you want, when you want, the way you want it, how you want it, regardless of what God says, that pitted you against God as his own enemy. Your sin. And God says, but listen, not even you or me as an enemy of his was going to keep his love from us. And while you were yet still a sinner, Christ died for you. Washing it all away. 
washing it all away. And so listen to this. Christ, the Son of God, died for the enemies of God, you and me, so that the enemies of God would become sons and daughters of God. You hear that? Christ, the Son of God, died for the enemies of God, you and me, so that the enemies of God could become sons and daughters of God. What kind of love is this? What kind of love? I've never seen it before on earth. I've never heard it before from any person. That someone would die, not just try to help out, but die for those who've trampled on the glory of God. This is incredible love. Some of you tonight go, I don't know that I was that bad. I don't know that I had that much to compensate for. But listen, believer. Listen, one who is questioning believing. It took the willing death of the Son of God to make salvation possible for you. She said, I'm not sure I had that much to die for. No, no, you did, because it took the willing death of the Son of God to even bring that on the table while you were his enemy. While you were his enemy. And so there is, there is no greater way to show the world the love of God in obedience to this passage. Because this is our own redemption story. The reason that believers can love those who've wounded us, the reason that believers can release those who have hurt us deeply is because nothing that anyone can say to you and nothing that anyone can do to you can define you. You hear that? You're not defined by what others say about you. You're not defined by what others do to you. You're not defined by what others think about you. You are defined by what God says you are. And he holds all authority, and I'll tell you why. Because there's an empty tomb in the Middle East. When you kind of resurrect from the dead, what you say goes. Right? And for those who trust in Jesus, he says, redeemed, forgiven, holy, righteous, purchased, approved of, valued, significant in the kingdom of God. That's what he says about you. So you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to protect yourself. You don't have to validate yourself. All of that's already been done in Jesus. So for those who want to come against you and oppose all of that, you can release them because you too have been released. You can love because you too have been loved. You can walk in freedom because Christ purchased it by his own perfect life and walk for you. And so Baylor students, as you think about extending the kingdom of God on this campus, as you think about displaying the glory, the brilliance, the wonder, the majesty of God on this campus, there may be no greater way to do that functionally and practically than loving your enemies praying for those who persecute you. For this is what Christ has done for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for tonight. And thank you that your word speaks so clearly to us. God, thank you that that life with you has not been kept a secret from us. God, thank you that what you want from us and what you're inviting us into is not something you've kept concealed. But thank you that by your word, even tonight, you've made very, very clear what it looks like 
to be a kingdom citizen of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would make in this stadium men and women who would be people who would not follow the current of the world, just to cave to the, to the wishes of the world, the pattern of the world, the ideas of the world, but you would make in this stadium men and women who are marked by the life, the death, the resurrection, and therefore the kingdom of Jesus. That we would be the kind of people Wounded as we may be, sinned against as we may be, God. Those who would love like you've loved us. Those who would release people just like you've released us. And Jesus, you realize tonight that by obedience to this teaching, you're asking us to travel upstream. This is not easy for us. So I pray now by the power of your spirit, you would empower us to obey your word. You've not given us your word to oppress us. You've given us your word to empower us and to free us and to guide us. So would you help us now be obedient? And I'm just burdened to pray right now, God, for this campus, that you would send a move of your Holy Spirit to reconcile the races that you would reconcile those who've been sinned against deeply and horrifically. That your mercy would be known, your grace would be felt, and your kingdom would come, and your will would be done on this campus just like it's going on up in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' strong name.